0: making sure that people of all body types, no matter what kind they are, feel confident and empowered by their body at any point, at any time, um, no matter how much it changes.
1: Welcome back to Social Soul Podcast. My name is Jess. And my name is Haley. On today's episode, we welcome guest Gigi Robinson. She is a creative producer and director, a master's student in body confidence, mental health, and disability advocate. So thank you, Gigi, for being here today with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to
0: chat with you. I don't know how I even came across your page on the internet, but that is, I think, one of the the beauties of using it as a tool versus letting, I guess, the internet control you. So I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah. And we're glad that you came across us so we can experience all of your wonder- wonderfulness now that we found you as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So there's obviously many topics that we want to cover with you today, um, including navigating and advocating chronic illness, choosing to live an alcohol-free lifestyle, and of course, body positivity. But I think I do want to start, um, I think you said you were diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome in 2010, correct me if I'm wrong, but I wanted you to just tell us a little bit about how you received that diagnosis and what that was all like at that time definitely
0: well at the time in 2010 i was 11 years old which as i think many people um maybe listening have distinct memories of what being 11 years old was like and your body's changing your mental health's changing your friends can be changing or they could be shady you know you don't really know what's going on um, and at that time, I just kept getting injured. I first got injured and it was a, an elbow fracture from doing a cartwheel down a hill. And it was like, why Why did doing a cartwheel give me a fracture? So we were like, eh, whatever, it's just is what it is. Then the next fall, I fractured my ankle And then the next spring, I tore ligaments or the next summer, I tore ligaments in my wrist and then I re-injured my ankle. You know, I, I messed up my shoulder also. And one of the doctors like looked at, she like did the stretchy skin test and anybody that knows what EDS is kind of knows a major symptom of it or a distinguishing marker, I should say, is like super stretchy skin, bruises easily. And those were all things that you can, you know, observe from just like looking at me. So she did that and she said, you know what, you should go to a geneticist. I think you might have ehlers Stanlow syndrome. And again, I'm 11 years old, so I wasn't really listening to most of this. My parents were and people were just kind of poking and prodding at me and I didn't really know what was going on. But that was the diagnosis early on and again i feel really fortunate and lucky to be able to have gotten that diagnosis early on because with a lot of eds patients they don't get it until they're you know in the mid mid 20s to 30s or 40s even it takes anywhere between 10 years after their symptoms start to i don't know like literally not even being diagnosed so um the fact that i had access to the best doctors here in new york city Really, I think helped me figure out a way to live functionably in the world as we know it.
1: I'm really glad that you did get that diagnosis so early. I, you know, I didn't even know what Ehlers Danlos syndrome was for you know, majority of my life. I didn't learn about it actually until I went through like the battle with Lyme disease. And mm-hmm. that was kind of something a lot of people with Lyme disease battle as well. And yeah. that's where I first learned about it. And yeah, you're right. It is one of those things that seems to take forever just like Lyme disease does and getting a diagnosis. So that's awesome. You know that it did get figured out that young for you. Obviously not awesome that you have to deal with it, but right. um, just a quick question. It is like a chronic condition, correct? Yeah. So you just kind of have to live your life now managing the symptoms as best you can or is there ways to like get in remission from it? I'm not really sure. Yeah, it is more of the
0: the first thing that you said. I just kind of find ways to like manage life and get through life with EDS. I do have a great brilliant very honest and vibrant community of Spoonie friends that I can contact and, you know, a bunch of them. I know at least three other people with EDS that struggle with Lyme as well. So I, I find that correlation really interesting as mm-hmm. well. Um, Same with like mast cell and EDS I mean it all goes under that umbrella of dysautonomia and having a lower immune system and being more susceptible to Lyme like it all makes sense Um, but yeah I just I kind of figure out ways to live life with it but during college my undergraduate degree when I was by myself in California it was like so difficult to manage by myself.
1: Did you ever um like I know you got this when you were like young you found this out but did you ever like play sports or anything when you were younger or like try to keep up with that and I'm sure that's really hard to do when you have a syndrome like this.
0: Yeah, well I did swimming. I mentioned before I wanted to be a professional olympic swimmer. That was like in my mind and when I get my mind set on something I make it happen. So like I was really determined to make this happen but when I got that diagnosis, I, one, kept getting injured so I couldn't really like swim with a cast. And then once you miss a month of training, it's really hard to like get back up. It's like you miss like a week of school. It's hard to catch back up. So that was part of, I think, the, the thing that deterred me from continuing. But also the doctors were like, mm, if you continue to do this, you will literally fuck up your shoulders so bad that you will not be able to do things comfortably anytime in the future. So stop. And yeah. that was when I stopped swimming.
2: Competitively. This is,
1: yeah. This is also interesting to me because I actually have a best friend, not Haley, the one sitting next to me, but my other best friend <laughs> um, who we actually really think that she has this. And so it's very interesting to talk to you about it and talk to other people who have it because she's been somebody that has done dancing and cheerleading Yeah. And so many things her whole life. And she's always injured. Mm -hmm. She always has a toe fracture, an ankle fracture, a shoulder dislocation. Like she always has something. And it wasn't, she's, you know, she's 30, about to turn 30. And it's still a doctor has never explained to her why she gets hurt so easily. And it wasn't until I started to learn about EDS through, you know, going through my own stuff that she was kind of like, wait a second that almost sounds like what could be wrong with me. And so it's really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, it really is interesting. And I feel like a lot more people have the symptoms of it um, than are like diagnosed. So like the symptoms to diagnosis ratio sucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very, very wide with EDS. But once you kind of realize that you have it um, and you start seeing doctors for it, the other thing is like how many do you want pills for pain management? Do you want to do PT for strengthening? Do you want to do both? Do you want to use natural stuff? Do you want to do a holistic approach? And I've done it all. Um, I've tried. I've tried literally all of it. And right now, I just got to the point where you know I was when I was at my lowest. I was taking so many pills every single day. I just was like, mm, cannot do this anymore. And. Mm-hmm. I found some new doctors here in New York at Columbia, and they're just the best, and they are doing a more holistic approach with me. So I will keep you all posted slash just go to my Instagram to (laughs) view my weekly updates of what's going on. Oh, I will (laughs)
1: definitely be following along. Also, shout out to New York for always having amazing doctors. I feel like everybody on the East Coast always has some rad doctors, and it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a hard shift also because I had my pediatric doctors and like looking at these conditions like when kids are younger like I feel like in New York I don't know people are more you know the the doctors just like see everything when the kids are and they're with you while you're growing up so they can kind of help you manage things but when I went to college I was out at USC in LA and I was completely by myself so I was not only getting new doctors but I was also graduating out of peds so it became this like thing that I had to all of a sudden like go to appointments by myself and like you know figure everything out 3,000 miles away from my support system so that was like extremely difficult um, to go through honestly yeah but that would be really doctors hard. were great they were great too
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, so you said that you also got diagnosed with pots is that correct? Yes, it is correct. When did that happen? That was in the
0: fall of 2019. Um, I started – I went to this one specialist here in New York, and I was telling him, like, yeah, I just, like, get so lightheaded sometimes that I feel like I'm going to pass out. He's like, oh, (laughs) you probably have pots. So he, like, asked me all these questions. He's like, "Mm, yeah, seems like you have it. So – there wasn't really much to it. Um, I don't have it terribly bad to the point where like I've, I've only fallen over like once or twice, but <laughs> not too fun.
1: Yeah, I am right there with you with that. I got tested for like pots and all of the dysautonomia. Disaudi- I don't. They told me I didn't have pots. I still to this day think that they're wrong because I pass out at the drop of a hat sometimes. <laughs> I don't know how I don't have it. <laughs> but um, you were also diagnosed with mast cell in twenty nineteen too, right? Was that the same yeah. Kind of time?
0: Yeah, it was like literally the same same day, same um, guy that diagnosed it and. A huge part of the mast cell, which makes so much sense for me, and I don't know why it wasn't picked up earlier, is like I am always super reactive to bug bites, to gluten, um, you know, to nuts. I get little canker sores in my mouth. I hope that's not too TMI for anybody listening. Oh my god, but... that happens to me too, so
1: it's not T M I.
0: Okay. Well, I'm I'm upset that, you know, you experience this too, but I'm also relieved to know that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a lot of my experience with my chronic illness is it's like I'm glad that you have the diagnosis so that you can kind of like get through the problem or figure out ways to treat it. So I haven't figured out how to treat that whole thing
1: because I really like chocolate, but it does not like me. My body does not like it. <laughs> is it. So is it mainly um, food or is there a lot of other stuff that bothers you too?
0: Well, it's like a lot of uh, – you know, the the food stuff definitely does affect me, but bug bites. I actually recently got a cortisone injection on a steroid in my back for my back pain. And I'm having this like very strange reaction two and a half weeks later where I'm having a mast cell reaction to it very obviously. So I've been like taking a lot of Benadryl and antihistamines, but Yeah, it's just I take the antihistamines as regimented as I can, and those sometimes help, and sometimes they don't.
1: Yeah, that's the crazy part to mast cell is it can be an immediate reaction or it can be a completely delayed reaction. To something yeah. and it's so hard to figure it out, to figure what your triggers are, to like know if you're going to be okay if you just like, you know, sneak that chocolate this time and then next right. time if you're probably not going to be okay if you sneak it. It's so confusing and it drives me insane. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I feel the exact same way. Also, I lived off of Benadryl for like a year and a half, so.
2: Yeah, I was thinking that that sounds familiar. She used to drive with Benadryl in her glove box. I think it's still there. Yeah, it's still
0: yeah. there. I have a I whole actually, glove box full of it. <laughs> I I always carry a Benadryl in case I have some random freak reaction. Same. Um, And also, I found this out. I don't know even when this happened, but Also, my mom's a nurse, so it totally could have been a subconscious thing from her. But like, carrying Benadryl, it's like one of the only things that can like reverse crazy reactions um, to things. So I just have it in case somebody else needs it, in case I need it. And there's, I mean, the only downside to it for me is that it just puts me out in like five minutes. Like, I literally, if I need to sleep, I take a Benadryl and I'm
1: out. Which which is so funny because it does not make me tired. I think that's so strange and I don't know why I got lucky. But speaking of you saying that it's like the one thing that can stop any bad reactions, um, I one time – like I always have Benatrol on me too for the same reason. And I one time was staying at a hotel with a friend and he had an allergic reaction and my benadryl for some reason wasn't in my purse at the mm-hmm. moment and we I went up to the front desk of the hotel and I was like he needs benadryl now and they were like well we don't have any and I ripped that front desk a new one for not having benadryl on them i have never gotten so angry in a public place and i just they were just like why is this such a big deal that like we don't have benadryl and i'm like everybody should have benadryl on them you guys are fucking up right now i was so mad yeah. yeah I, it's literally important. It's very important. I think it's so important. <laughs> okay. So um I want to move on to um you said in 2021, which is this year, you yeah. decided to start living an alcohol-free lifestyle. Um yeah. as you probably know, Haley's also alcohol free. So we're just curious, like what prompted this decision for you and like how you're currently navigating it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, there's definitely a couple of things. One, I went to a very Hmm, how should I say this? A very – a party school. USC mm-hmm. is a party school. Um, I spent a lot of time in college drinking and partying and, um, you know, with a chronic illness, that's not the best decision yeah. as I – I don't know, maybe anyone listening can relate to, but usually the next day, you know, People are like, oh, yeah, you just get hungover. Like, when you have a chronic illness, it literally wipes you out. Like, it's so much more exhausting than when you are just like a, a regular person, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: I mean, I'm not in anyone else's body. I can't really judge. But all I know is the way that I feel the day after I drink is so bad that it just became, it got to a point where it just became not worth it for me. And, mm-hmm. Throughout the pandemic, I would have a glass of wine here and there, like whatever. And then I was just like, Ugh, like, I'm feeling sick even after one glass. Like, because I went from partying a lot in school or drinking casually every night with my friends or every other night to drinking, you know, once a week to drinking once every couple of weeks or only on occasion. I would, I went from like, you know, being able to drink a half a bottle of wine to not even being able to finish a glass of wine without feeling sick. So it was like, Something probably isn't working for me if I'm putting this in my body and I feel sick after drinking such a small amount. And I don't know people are like, oh, it's your tolerance. And I'm like, exactly. Like, I don't think I can tolerate this. So in 2021, I was like, let me just see if I'm comfortable in like social settings where people are drinking, like with my friends. I mean, I'm 23 years old. 23 year olds like to go out and party and drink and socialize and meet new people. And that's just like the method of socialization. But I am a very uh, talkative, social person. And I usually just order a mocktail and I, nobody has to know, like <laughs> at the table um, or if we're meeting other people, I guess in post COVID times, like you, you see someone holding a drink, it doesn't mean there's alcohol in it.
2: Yeah. And You can definitely fly under the radar with something non-alcoholic. And I think that that's one of the coolest things about going into a social setting. Like you're 23, you know?
1: That's amazing that you're 23 and doing that, by the way. yeah, I I can't even imagine how hard that would be.
0: I just think it's, I mean, it's, it's hard in some ways and like, I feel like I'm 16 again, where I got those initial like peer pressures from the people (laughs) that started drinking a couple years or months before me. And they're like, oh, just try it. It's one drink. And, you know, there's that same pressure now of like, we went out on my birthday and we went to a Mexican restaurant and then we went out to a bar downtown. And each time they're like, are you sure you don't want to do shots? It's your birthday. Like, it's just one shot. And I'm like, I've already made it five months into the year. I'm not going to just give it up now. So I'm going to stick it out, see how I feel this year. And so far, I mean, I just, I know that it's the right decision when I wake up after a night where I've I've been around people that are drinking and they complain that they have a hangover the next morning and I don't. Like I, that, that feeling of not being sick after the, a social event and having the same amount of fun just makes it so worth it to me.
2: Totally. And you're like, I know my hangover would be two times worse than yours. So it's like extra worth it. I'm curious.
1: um, Did you always like have bad hangovers? Like, I don't know what age you were when you like first started like drinking. Like I know for me, I was like 16. Yeah. Um, I always had way worse hangovers than all of my friends. And now it makes sense because I had a chronic illness and I didn't know.
0: Right, it's that it's the masked cell reaction to a lot of sugary alcohols. Um, my face actually would always blow up. Like it's kind of funny. Um, like some of the pictures, there were a couple of times in college where I woke up with like my eye swollen shut and I'm like, what the hell happened? Did I get a spider bite? Did somebody like, you know, whack me in the face? Is there makeup on my face? what's going on. And I think if I really think hard enough about it, I'm pretty sure I drank the night before. And that could be the only kind of uh, real indicator of of what is causing this problem. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the hangovers were always bad. I always have a really high rally potential, I think. like I was always able to feel like shit, but just keep plowing through because that's just my personality
2: well and you've but, been doing that your whole life like yeah if you think about it exactly exactly and
0: it hurts me but at the same time I can't really change that like I talk about this with my therapist all the time I'm like what am I supposed to do and she's like well keeping yourself busy is a distraction from your pain and a distraction from doing like you know random random things that I don't know might cause you pain ultimately so I guess it, it makes a lot of sense
2: yeah I'm kind of curious if you found like a link between alcohol and your mental health at all like are you mm-hmm. do you feel any different since you quit drinking
0: yeah I think there's Ah, <sighs> yeah I mean it's an interesting question because in the time that I've made this decision, it's been the middle of the pandemic or the end of the pandemic. So yeah. I was super careful the entire time throughout the past year and a half because I just wasn't sure how I would react if I got COVID and I live with my parents. So I didn't want to impose anything on them. I didn't want to impose anything on myself. And I just really you know saw people one at a time um, six feet apart outdoors in New York City in the middle of the winter and um, of those times, you know we were getting brunch like we weren't always drink we weren't always you know going out for a drink. but when my friends went out for a drink, I was just like, mm, nah I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like try it and I feel like the friends that really care about you and love you do not really care if you're drinking or not and they mm-hmm. they know that you'll be fun regardless and you know that that I I feel like my mental health shift has just really been like you know there's other things that I can do besides substance uh besides you know I don't what's the word it's, it's not substance abuse but it's just like well using d- a substance using a substance yes yeah besides using a substance to kind of like ease the anxiety at dinner? Like how can I do some kind of mindfulness or breathwork exercise like while I'm out to dinner having anxiety? Um, How can I really just like, you know, take a step back and I guess – I don't know. Just just be – Focusing on myself and not focused on feeding the anxiety in situations that I used alcohol with. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I would find myself feeling really like just like anxiety in, in these social situations. And I would mm-hmm. drink to, to kind of like numb it and just like open up a bit. And I'm like, how can I just change my mindset? And that's what I've been focused the most on. And so, yes, long story short, I think not drinking alcohol has – Changed my mindset to the point where I can control my actions.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just think sometimes like so many people kind of miss the connection between like what alcohol can do to your mental health. Like you said, you quit drinking like in the middle of the pandemic and there's kind of all of these things going on around you that can kind of affect affect your mental health. So I think when you take a look at alcohol and kind of remove that from the equation, it I just feel like it can create so much freedom for you. And it sounds kind of like that's that's what it's done.
0: Yeah, it definitely has created a good amount of freedom, but I think more in the sense of like, for example, we're going out to drink, we're getting margaritas, we have the first one or two, then we decide to split another pitcher. Then I'm already so deep in that I know I'm going to be fucked up the next day. Mm-hmm. hangover. I'm going to be out of commission. Therefore, I'm going to be stressed to get, you know reach a yeah. deadline. Um, so yeah, in turn, I do think it has actually made a lot of space for me. And it's no big deal. The people I love don't care.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I feel like that societal pressure holds a lot of people back, but you're so right. Like the right people, they're going to want what's best for you and they're going to let you make those choices for yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um I so I know you do like a ton of advocacy through social media for chronic illness and all of that. I'm curious what made you like become so passionate about advocacy in general?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a couple of different things. I would say the first part of it was in college. I well, actually, wait, pause. I'm gonna backtrack. <laughs> there's, I think, I started my body image work um, way before I started my chronic illness work, and that part of that is because I didn't really acknowledge or honor my chronic condition. I just focused on like keeping quiet, telling people, "Oh, I just have an appointment." Like there's so much shame around. My chronic condition. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was really, really burnt out in college and professors weren't believing me that I started talking about that. And then when I came home with the pandemic, I kind of reevaluated where I was at with my social platforms. I'd had, like, I think, you know, around 70 something K on TikTok and I had about 8K on Instagram. And I was just like, not really satisfied with. The message that I was promoting on my platforms. Like, it was kind of just like nonsense. And I was like, okay, if I have this big platform, how can I use it to drive change? How can I use it to be an ally? How can I use it to share my experience with chronic illness and body image and disordered eating and mental health? And how can that be used in a way to help youth? Um, I'm in Gen Z and I know Gen Z, I'm at the older half of Gen Z, I would say, and kind of like the whole elder millennial idea. I'm like an (laughs) elder general Zer. So (laughs) on that note, I would say there's so much room for inspiration. Um, One of my cousins has actually two of them. One has lead poisoning. The other one has juvenile osteoarthritis. And I'm like, that's just so awful and I know that he like you know they look at my work and I think they feel empowered and they feel more outspoken and that's the whole goal um to create conversations that lead to change and yeah that's that's why that's why I do it I do it also for you know my 11-year-old self who was scared and going through puberty and didn't really understand what was going on. Um, I think about that a lot in that I didn't have anyone to look up to because, again, there's so much shame around mental health and not being perfect all the time. And just that's why I – that's really why I do it.
1: You do it with such elegance and grace, to be honest. Like the first time I looked at your Instagram account, you just are immediately drawn to you. You just like Uh are so easy to like follow along with and to like to want to watch all of your stuff. So I just want to let you know that you're doing a great fucking job. (laughs)
0: oh thank you so much i really appreciate that
1: and you're absolutely killing it on tiktok do you have any tiktok pointers for us because um social soul podcast is not tiktok's favorite right
0: now well i mean i think the biggest thing about tiktok is one obviously you want to try to repurpose your content but people like storytelling so Mm -hmm. they're not really always into self-promotion they're into like why should I care about your self-promotion? Like for me, a lot of the videos that do well is like people were like, how did you get on the billboard in Times Square? And I was like, oh, it's actually because I give a shit about causes and the Ronald McDonald House and McDonald's were doing a hashtag challenge where they would match your video up to a $100 million. Think about that. Think about how many people had the potential to actually contribute to that. Guess how many did? probably not many, 4,000 people. They didn't even, they didn't even reach a 10th of what their potential donation could have been to donate to the Ronald McDonald house. And that just like totally hit me. So I remember doing polls on Instagram, just talking about like, if you had the potential to donate like a space on your grid space to know that you would be helping somebody, would you? And I think it was like a 70, 30 where people were like, like 30% said yes And 70% said no Like it was all about the aesthetic And I was just dumbfounded by that So that's when I actually started Like taking my work Offline And really educating myself About like why is that How can I do better How can I teach people to do better Especially influencers and brands So that's what I apologize for the <laughs> Outlook Um <laughs> But yeah, that's why I got into it. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. And on TikTok, again, I would just put storytelling first and your brand kind of second. So like, how can I storytell about my brand? Not here's my brand, here's my story. That's kind a of really that. good
1: tip. Yeah. 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 yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I awesome. mean,
2: my best TikToks, I feel like, are definitely storytelling ones. So. Yeah, they definitely sure. are.
1: Yeah. Um. I was going to say, I know that you mentioned how you kind of started with the body positivity stuff on um, social media. Do you remember like the first moment that you spoke about body positivity on like a public platform? Yeah. Um, well, there's one other thing I just wanted to point out real quick
0: is Go that- I used to think that I was actually doing body positivity and I think a lot of it can be misconstrued because it seems like, oh yeah, you're just being positive about your body, but it's actually... Body image advocacy and body acceptance and body neutrality, um, whereas body positivity actually dives deeper into the representation of fat bodies and plus size bodies, specifically marginalized ones. And I don't really fall into that category, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to really misrepresent such a uh, you know important term on the internet. I didn't want to take up that space. So now I kind of fall under body confidence, body acceptance, body empowerment, neutrality, um all about really advocating for and working towards making sure that people of all body types, no matter what kind they are, feel confident and empowered by their body at any point, at any time, um no matter how much it changes. So I just wanted to make that brief distinction and Totally. I encourage anybody listening to really research the difference between them because there actually are differences that a lot of people don't know about.
1: I love that. Um, I'm glad that you said that because I definitely didn't really know the difference between those. So thank you for explaining that.
0: Of course. Of course. It's, you know, it's, it's way more common just a year ago. I didn't know the difference. So uh-huh. that's the beauty of social media. We're always learning. Right. That's so
1: true. That's why we do um, it.
0: <laughs> I would say the first time I spoke out about body image. Oh, I remember it was um, in the fall of 2019. I modeled for this company and I told them like, no retouching at all. I will literally like call you out if you retouch my pictures and uh what did they go ahead and do they retouched my pictures they sent me they, where they messed up is that they sent me the raw files yes. um before they edited them and then they made their selects and they posted edited photos of me and my body and it oh. just was like what the actual fuck yes. so that's when i took to tiktok and was like um y'all <laughs> let me just tell you you don't need to have your body retouched Um, at all like I'm super confident in the way that I looked but then I go ahead and look at what they did they like butchered my face and I'm just like oh my god
2: this is so scary well it's also like what the hell like just kind of rude like you Mm -hmm, told me you weren't gonna do this and then you do this like exactly I can
1: imagine how pissed off you were I I would throw me oh my god so mad
0: I mean, it one made me mad as a student and a body confidence advocate, but it also really made me mad as a photographer myself Mm -hmm. because my primary goal is like, how can I best use lighting and posing to manipulate the body to make the model or the person the photos are for feel the most confident? That's Mm -hmm. what photography is all about. It's about capturing beauty so that you feel confident and you feel joyful and happy when you look at it. At least when when I do it. I mean, I can't really speak for photojournalism because I know it's like a completely different field, but my um that that's just my philosophy and my outlook on it. And when people cross my line, I call them out on it. As with anything, I call people out on their BS. I call platforms out, um, you know, when they fuck up and I I say it like it is. I'm not about bullshitting. I, I don't retouch my photos. I used to uh, put presets on my photos, but now I just uh, fix the white balance and the color. And I just don't I don't bother doing a preset because I just want everything to be as natural as possible.
1: I think that's interesting how you said, um, you know, as a photographer, you see it differently because it's like, how good of a photographer are you if you take a picture and then it's completely retouched after you took the picture? Right. I mean, like, that's not really your image anymore. (laughs) Exactly. But some of it is also
0: what photographers are trained to do with the industry. They're trained. Oh, you you need to have a clear face. You need to not have shadows on the face. Okay. You know what you can do? You can set up a three light setup and very easily get no shadows on your face like seriously come on like I'm like cut it out the bullshit guys and if if you want to show people what foundation actually looks like on someone's face don't make their pores invisible like we all know that makeup influencers and ring lights and selfies really blur out what that looks like like let's let's see let's see some actual skin tone. So I don't know. That's just my philosophy, but I've said this on other podcasts. I've said this on interviews, but the same way that Instagram and Facebook and TikTok can tell when something's about the election and they put up that little disclaimer or if it's about COVID, I 100% know and in the future will be fighting for adding some kind of disclaimer about editing or photo manipulation Mm -hmm. because it's – I just think it's absolute BS that it does not exist so far when there's literal filters that they know change people's face. Like on TikTok, you can literally – enhance your eyes, like make them bigger. Like, like what? Like, I just, I don't understand why those are an option.
2: I've scrolled past a couple ads on TikTok too, that always make me so fun, right? Not even FaceTune. I have seen ones where it's like you swipe your finger, like in an hourglass shape or whatever. And it literally (sighs) completely changes the look of somebody's body. And it makes me so mad. Every time I scroll past them, I'll like screenshot screen, grab them, And, like, share them because I think that it's so messed up that these apps out there exist, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, it it really is – it's messed up. I posted an app uh, (laughs) – I posted a TikTok about one of these apps a couple of months ago because I kept getting uh, uh, ads for the video Facetune editor where it was, like, Mm -hmm. take away all your acne and I just – Uh, that's the problem with everyone's confidence specifically gen z because from a young age they're being told and being fed not only what they see on tv and what they read in physical tabloid magazines because i mean i don't even think they do that um because it's like okay think about it when we were kids or when i was a kid i would get The magazine, and I would be able to look at it and compare myself to that. But how Mm -hmm. often was I really getting a magazine? Once every couple of weeks, once a month, once every other month, not too frequently. Now, kids get their phones and they're fed that shit every single day. So, of course, they're going to be lonely. Of course, they're going to have terrible mental health. And of course, it's just going to keep getting worse if there's no
1: disclaimers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was telling Haley just the other day how glad I am that we weren't in high school when there was Instagram and all of that or TikTok because I don't even know like what – how I would have handled all of that. It's scary Mm -hmm. the shit that young kids see and compare themselves to right now.
0: I 100% agree and that's why a lot of the work that I do, it's about social media literacy and the understanding and training um, kind of – in the consulting sense, um, I consult with university students, professors, um, firms, companies about different ways in which content can really affect younger audiences. Um, And and even honestly, I mean, audiences, older audiences too. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, how do, how do older women with Wrinkles feel when they get Instagram filters that completely blur them, and then they take yeah. it off, and all of a sudden they don't look twenty-five
1: again. Like, I mean, <laughs> like I'm you know, already experiencing that, that at my age with the filters. Yeah. Like, right. I right. have a filter on me, and then I take it off, and I'm like, wait, I'm so much older than what I remembered I was five years ago. <laughs> like, right, <laughs> right. crazy. Um,
0: so I, I just think it's super important, and that's why in the past year, honestly, I. I kind of had to take a beat with a lot of my TikTok content. And as a photographer, like photography and writing is just so much more intuitive to me. So I TikTok pushes me every single day. But I just like found my safe space on Instagram again and focused on growing that. And then with TikTok, I just took a beat, like I said, and I Said, you know what? I, I'm going to, I already have this great platform of people that support what I'm doing with body confidence and mental health and chronic illness. I'm going to focus on building out my speaking tour and really coming up with this curriculum to teach people about social media literacy in a corporate environment or in an educational institution.
1: I'm glad that we talked to you about this because I know it's something that many people are struggling with when it does come to social media right now. I know it's something that I'm struggling with. It's something Haley and I talk about often is the like, you know, wanting to show your truest self on social media, but it's so intimidating to do so because there's so very little people actually doing it. Well,
2: and so many people come in hot like trolls. Like Mm -hmm. there are literally such mean people on the internet. So, (laughs)
1: right. Unfortunately, Uh, Um, I wanted to ask you, Gigi, are there any like passion projects that you're currently working on that you want to like share with listeners? doesn't have to be anything you're not ready to talk about yet. I'm sure you have lots of projects you're working on, so I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. I'm working on a lot of
0: projects. Um, One of my, I think, biggest projects is my IGTV series, um, Everything You Need Is Within, but stay tuned. Um, Definitely turn on my post notifications so you don't miss out some crazy updates that I will have probably by the end of the week and or end of the month. There's some things that I can't speak about yet, but there are
1: things and that is what I will say on that. (laughs) I already got so excited when you just mentioned IGTV series. I've recently been getting into those and so I'm just like, wait, I'm going to be able to watch you on one too. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. A lot of – so basically, it's
0: it's a a live talk show interview series where I bring – industry experts and leaders in. And it's all about empowering Gen Z through difficult situations and conversations so that they can make change themselves. So whether that's about mental health, um, whether that's about ending world hunger, whether that is about coming to terms with your own disability, or even just getting through difficult situations and haters and things like that I talk all about that with my guests and it's just been a really great passion project to work on but again stay tuned for some updates
1: on that in the next month definitely will. thank you for sharing that with us um I want to go through we asked um some listeners like on social media to put in some questions to ask you and so I just want to go through a few of them really quickly with you if you are ready Sure. Let's go. Okay. So one person asked, what is your best life advice for thriving with chronic illness? Mm -hmm. That's a broad one, but.
0: Yeah. I'm going to say take breaks and rest, but I should probably listen to that advice myself (laughs) because as I mentioned before, I'm like a very uppity person and I try my best to just work through any difficult situation to like make it to the next one but I really need to focus on resting and taking care of myself as well
1: I say the same thing to people so and then at the same time I'm like Jessica just let yourself rest damn it come (laughs) on what are you doing (laughs) um what is your go-to line when people ask why you're not drinking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you have a go-to I feel like it could be different every time I don't know
0: Yeah, I feel like it's situational. Um, I mean, my yeah, it's it's definitely situational. But with my friends, I was just like, oh, like I feel like not drinking really helps my chronic illness, and it makes me
1: feel better if I don't drink. It's a good one. It's true. My friends are like. Yeah, for sure. You're great. I'm like, that mm. would be nice. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and then someone else asked, um, they said, "You're such a well-spoken advocate. Is that a learned skill or a natural one?" Ooh. I like that. Um, I'm going with both
0: because I was not always really outspoken, honestly. I definitely have learned how to be more articulate with what I do. But a big part of why I'm outspoken is because of kind of like the trauma experience that I've had with people not believing me, with friends leaving, with literal professors like saying that I can't make work about my disability. Like I was just like, fuck you. Now I need to get to the bottom of this. And I totally could have gotten you fired, but instead I'm going to do something for the greater good of the population and Make work about it, and now you will always, forever know that you were the asshole of a professor that mm-hmm. you know told told me that I couldn't do it, and then I went after it. So mm-hmm. um, I kind of like to use instigation as my motivation um, as well, and I also have years of public speaking experience. Doing social media trained me. Um, I used to act when I was a kid. So that was part of it too, probably. And
1: yeah, long story short, both. <laughs> That's amazing that you have done like so much and you're only twenty three years old. Like I feel <laughs> like I the last five years of my life were when I did the most things, you know, and like I feel like you're just knocking so much shit off the list well, already. I- it's amazing.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And I think to any younger person listening, like there's literally no limit to what you can or can't do. You just have to seek it out. Like I posted on my stories today about this because people always ask me like, oh my God, Gigi, like how did you get this program? Or how did you get that partnership? Or how how are you working with this company? And I'm like, I literally just sought it out. Like Mm -hmm. I am the kind of person that is totally okay getting a no from a cold email. Like At some point, I'm going to get a yes, and it might be with my dream company. I pitched to this really big company about my show a couple of weeks ago. I didn't hear anything, um, and all of a sudden, last week, I got this email and was like, hey, we want to talk to you about this you know, new thing that we're doing, and we would love to potentially include you in it. Let's get on a call. I got on the call. It went great, and... Again, this is a project that is coming out in the near future, so I'm not going to talk about it fully yet. But the point is I cold emailed. They didn't have to respond. Eventually, they did. And I always take a no as a not right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So just kind of also learning to redirect your negativity and your negative emotions into like a learning experience or motivation for you to find the next thing.
1: I absolutely love that because a lot of people see, you know, people who are successful on social media and they just imagine that those people get a yes to everything that they ask for, you know, right. but there is a lot of no's involved, right. but I like how you say it's not a no, it's a not right now. I'm going to remind myself yeah. of that. <laughs> That's a good absolutely. one. Absolutely. Okay. So before we let you go, um, I want to just do some like rapid fire type questions just to get to know you on like a little bit more of a personal and.
2: Lighter, Lighter level. Lighter level is the perfect
1: <laughs> way to put that. Um, sure. We like to end our guest episodes with these. So I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. Sounds so good. first one is, do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee, hands down. How do you drink your coffee?
0: Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to know. <laughs> okay. Get ready. It, it, my My go-to coffee of choice would be a very large – Iced vanilla latte with a little splash of caramel stuff with nut milk or oat milk and extra ice in a bigger cup. So,
1: yeah, I mean that's not far off from like what I drink. Okay. I mean, I I don't do iced. I do like hot coffee most of the time, but Uh, I do a hazelnut latte with nut milk mm, and instead of caramel, I put maple syrup in it.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I feel like I sound crazy. Like when I order at Starbucks, I'm like, hey, can I put a a grande in a venti cup with extra ice, nut milk, an extra pump of this, one less pump of that. They're like, they look at me and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But I mean, you just sound like a barista to me. Yeah. Mm Trust me. That's, that comes out of my addiction to coffee.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay. So um, what is your horoscope sign?
0: I'm a Taurus with a, I believe
1: a Scorpio moon. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. It's like the complete opposite. It's kind of freaky, but. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's always weird how that works, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Are you a morning or a night person?
0: Honestly, I could be either, but I feel like I'm so much more productive when I wake up in the morning.
1: 100% agree yep. with you. Yep. I used to very much be a night person until I became chronically ill. well, at least until I figured out I was chronically ill. And then I'm like, wait, mornings are where it's at. <laughs> mornings are so where it's at. and like my only
0: problem is that I usually I actually like my master's degree is at night, so I can't wind down until like 11 o'clock. And Oof. to get the amount of sleep I need to get to be able to wake up at, like, 7, I need to go to sleep at, like, 9. Mm-hmm. So I that just doesn't work. And also not to mention being chronically ill, like, you need, like, that extra two hours of sleep. Like, I used to, in college, thrive off of, like, four to six hours of sleep, but now I'm, like, thriving off of eight.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, my doctor tells me to get 11 hours of sleep every night, so I'm right oh, there with Wow. <laughs> I'm like doctor's orders I must go to bed at 8 30 every night <laughs> oh my gosh um, do you prefer the cold or the heat oh heat 100% same I think that question's so interesting for people that are chronically ill because I feel like it's 50 50 a lot of the mm-hmm. time so I always ask that one yeah Okay. So thank you so much for being here today, Gigi. We appreciate you being on the podcast. We loved getting to know you a little bit more. I can't wait to follow along with everything that you're doing already on social media and everything that you have coming up in the future. Um, Do you want to just let listeners know where they can find you on social media before we let you go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Also, thank
0: you so much for having me. I loved speaking with both of you. Um, You guys can all find me at It's Gigi Robinson on every social media platform. And you can also just Google my name or check my website, ggrobinson.com to learn more about me. But again, this was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank thank you. you so much for
1: being here. Of course. (laughs) Let's <laughs> go.